It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is your host, Adam Force. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show for social entrepreneurship. Today, we're going to be talking to somebody who is a speaker, and he is a entrepreneur, and he's a mentor and a coach. He's a kind of uh, covering all the bases, and he's got a lot of great experience, everything from speaking engagements at the White House to co-founding one of the leading or the leading social impact crowdfunding platform start some good uh he's also an advisor over at change.org so he's really you know in line with the the conscious movement here and he's a big speaker on the topic of social entrepreneurship so lots of interesting experiences to tap into guys i just got um the the final draft of the tony robbins edition of the magazine uh we had some stuff some updates we were doing and uh, man it came out really really good i'm excited to get this one out the door uh the stories are really powerful um and the design team i want to give kudos to at merrick first because they are kicking butt um so thanks to them for all their hard work uh, keep an eye out, guys. It's going to be out March 15th, and um, we'll be you know, releasing a few videos around it and things like that. So, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. You can uh, read it for free with a one-month free trial. And don't forget, we are giving one magazine away for free in the App Store. So if you just want to stop by and check out issue number three, um, it's got four awesome interviews in it that you can uh, dive into from you know social entrepreneurs and also John Lee Dumas and a couple other good guys. So check that out when you get a chance. Leave us a five-star review, and let's start this conversation with Alex. Alex, what's up, man? Thanks for joining the Change Creator Podcast show. How you doing? Hey, Adam. I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love what you're doing, and it's a, a pleasure to be talking with you today. Yeah, likewise. I mean, you've got some incredible accomplishments, and uh, we're we're really in line with our thinking, and I just... I get excited when I see people like you out there, um, you know, passionately pursuing this uh, idea of social entrepreneurship um, and spreading the word. I mean, you're really out there talking about it and helping um, in all different ways, whether it's starting a business or doing uh, speaking engagements. So kudos to you. And um, so we're going to tap into some of that experience and expertise today. And uh, maybe what you could do just to tee everybody up is just give a little bit of a an elevator pitch background, um, some of the key highlights, you know, some of the things like uh, you've talked at the White House, you, you help co you help co-found uh, Start Some Good. So if you can just give us a little summary of some of that stuff, that would be great. Sure. Not one to talk about myself too, too much <laughs> in terms of the things I do. I mean, I really take a servant leadership approach to, to what I do. I'm a big believer that I don't know exactly what it is that the world needs, but I know that the world needs more change makers and more people taking action in what is they're passionate about. So towards that end, that's what I've spent a lot of my career focused on. Uh, I founded a crowdfunding startup, startsomegood.com, which is the crowdfunding site for social impact, which has helped change makers all around the world get started, uh, and especially to get that early stage capital that many need to get going. Um, and then 
I'm very fortunate from those experiences to have learned a, a ton. There's probably no better way to learn than by launching a, a venture. And then following that, I had a chance to uh, run an incubator based in Stockholm, Sweden, where I worked with some of Scandinavia's best social entrepreneurs. And in that, got to help coach them on everything from how to measure impact, to how to generate revenue, and what are some of the key change maker and leadership skills they need to have the impact in the world that they would like to, to have. So. Yeah, a lot of my career has really focused on finding, supporting, training, and encouraging change makers really around the world. Yeah, I love that. Um, what was your first speaking engagement where you got out there and got a chance to talk to um, people about this? Oh, that's a that's a good question. You know, there, there's an amazing thing in the the startup world and even the social entrepreneurship world. This idea of uh, fake it until you make it. So it was uh, just as I had had launched Start Some Get, I got invited to speak at a, a nonprofit tech conference, uh, and I walked in there feeling like uh, I think they made a mistake. Like I should not be here. Um, but you know, I faked it well enough, and at least my passion for the topic showed through. And then it was it was nice to see a good response. The people resonated with the, some of the things that, that we were talking about. And then I guess that gave a bit of support to go from there. Uh, but certainly, I don't go into it, or I didn't go into it expecting to do a whole lot of these. It was just an opportunity that I, I jumped at. Yeah, yeah. And how'd you like it when you when you finished that? Were you like, man, I, I want to get out there and do more of these speaking engagements? Did it feel good to kind of have the opportunity to speak about that stuff? It did. I remember that I didn't I didn't plan ahead too well, and so I remember being so thirsty by the time I was done, and recognizing <laughs> that I probably should have brought a, a bottle of water along, and just hoping that my voice would would carry me through, which it which it did. Uh, but yeah, I just love any opportunity to. Um, communicate with with change makers, whether that's speaking or writing or just launching platforms or initiatives or catalyzing community, just anything I can do to try to um, not just put my voice out there, but ideally to bring together change makers um, and especially align on things. uh, I jump at those chances. Absolutely. That's really cool. So you you co-founded Start Some Good, right? Or were you the sole founder? I was the co-founder of Start okay. Some Good. Right? And, and so, I don't know what year, I forget how long ago that was, but um, it's a pretty well-established platform at this point. Um, and what can you tell us about, you know, everyone's out there, and it's, it's obviously a really good resource, crowdfunding in general, whether it's Kickstarter, Start Some Good, Indiegogo, there's a ton of them now. Um, what can you tell us about, I guess, that as a source for people and any type of learnings. I mean, here, you're one of the people that built that platform. What does it take to succeed on Start Some Good? Uh, anything you could share for the, the change makers listening and looking to get that funding? And money is always a big thing to get the ball rolling. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're coming up on our six-year anniversary. So we launched in March of 2011. And I did co-found it. So I had a tremendous co-founder, uh, Tom, who continues to be the CEO today and is still running it. Cool. Uh, but yeah, we, we learned a lot. Uh, actually, before we launched our crowdfunding platform, uh, we decided that in order to get the capital we needed to launch Start Some Good, uh, we ran a crowdfunding campaign ourselves. We thought it's important that we put our money where our mouths are and that we had to make sure we actually knew what it take, took to run a crowdfunding campaign. So we raised uh, a bit of money, which was seed funding for some web development and some marketing materials and those kinds of things. And that helped us get started and I think gave us some empathy for what it takes to run a successful crowdfunding campaign. Um, and of course, I'm happy to get into some of the details of what we've learned along the way. But I think we went into it not knowing exactly what form the crowdfunding site would take 
but really recognizing that there is a huge opportunity with this gap for early stage capital that oftentimes people are willing to support impact initiatives once there's some traction, once people know that there's a model that works. But there's this great catch-22, which is, okay, it's hard to get money bef uh, until the model works, but how do you get the money to actually prove that it works? And so we think crowdfunding is a really powerful way to democratize that. So not yeah. just to uh, increase the availability of capital, but also, and this was a lesson that we learned very early on, is that crowdfunding is an incredible way to also catalyze a community. We found that oftentimes people would support a uh, venture financially, but they'd also come in with resources, with connections, end up serving on a board, uh, or just become an ardent supporter and member of the community. So it was really cool how it was really beyond just the capital, which is how we were initially thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I'm curious then to know a little bit more detail. We don't have to go too far down the rabbit hole, but you know, what are some of the things people should be aware of when they're setting up a campaign? So prior to launch, what types of strategies should be considered in order to be successful? I, you know, I've, I've heard so many different things about getting ambassadors and you know, the number of emails you want to send at certain times and all kinds of little things, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, do, do you want to have a make sure you have an email list? Do you need an email list of 5,000 or more people? Like what are some of the prerequisites and accomplishments you should strategize to uh, to achieve before you actually launch that campaign to make sure you're successful? A anything you could share there? Yeah, to your point, it's really important you do the prep work before going into it. It doesn't matter if you have the most perfect crowdfunding campaign in the world. If people don't know about it, it won't do any good and you won't raise money. So yeah, we really encourage people doing the work beforehand to, to think about things. And so it comes down to a, a couple of things. And so a lot of it back down to community development, community engagement and catalyzation. So we always say that you should know the names of the first 10 people who will support your crowdfunding campaign. So it could be your mom, could be your grandma, could be your uncle. That's totally fine. But make sure you know the names that they're ready to go. Of course, work on email lists and things like that are, are helpful as well. But a framework we often found that's useful to help people think about who to target and how to target them is that we try to dispel the notion of crowdfunding being all about the crowd. There's actually three different target populations that you want to be reaching out to. Mm -hmm. Your peers, your tribes, and then the crowd. And it's sort of like, think of it as a bullseye. So in the very middle are peers, second ring, tribe, third crowd. And essentially, you have to get traction with the inner circle before you can move to the next one. So start with your peers. Start with the people who are your strongest supporters, the people that uh, know you will support any initiative that you do are super passionate. Maybe they're on your board. Maybe they're trusted advisors already. Or again, best friends, roommates, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. If you get traction with them, then you can move to your tribes. So who are tribes? Those are people that you may share uh, a commonality with. So maybe you're part of a fraternity together, even if you're not uh, best friends, or it could be, then this is where the power of social networks come in. Uh, maybe um, I don't know Adam's friend directly, but because Adam goes, hey, you should really check out this campaign my friend is doing super cool. Well, then I'd be much more likely to support it than if it were just someone random. Right. So try have a shared yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then only if you get traction really with the peers and the tribes, that's where the crowd can come in. And that's where, you know, media can amplify a message. You can reach out to the people that have never heard of you, never heard of your organization. Uh, but really, that's only possible if you get traction with the first two groups. And it makes sense intuitively. Again, you could have the best crowdfunding campaign ever. Uh, but if you see that it's sitting on $10 two weeks in, you'd go, well, <laughs> even even their grandma won't give to them? Like, what, what's going on? Maybe, I, maybe I'm missing something. So yeah. having 
that traction is so important. And when you're saying getting traction, getting those 10 people on board from um, your peers, those types of things, you're saying to get people who are willing to put money and invest in what you're doing, not just share it on their social network. Exactly. So what you want is the moment it goes live, it goes live at 9 a.m. By 9.01, you have your first 10 people that are making their first donation. Uh, You'd never want to see things sitting on zero. So the quicker you can get traction, the better. We see that there are huge spikes at the beginning of a campaign and at the end of a campaign. So the more you can do to really prime people to be ready to go. Uh, And so do a countdown, do uh, an email blast going five days till we launch, four days till we launch, get people excited, get people revved up, and then get them really ready to go from the second that the, the crowdfunding campaign launches. Yep, makes sense, makes sense. Now, are there any red flags people should be aware of to say, wait a minute, we're not ready. So we already know if you can't get those 10 people, you're, you're, you're obviously not ready. Um, any other factors such as, listen, if you have an email list of five people, uh, you're probably not ready because you're never going to get the crowd factor. So is, like, is there anything else that's a red flag people might want to be aware of? So Because it might be, hey, phase one is I got to check off these boxes first, then I could start thinking about the crowdfunding campaign. So maybe there's prerequisites. So I'm just trying to give people some clarity on, you know, what is your situation? Are you ready for a crowdfunding campaign? Right. And so you pointed out a couple of really great, very tangible questions you should ask yourself. But then a bigger sort of meta level question is you should really be clear on what it is that I'm doing and why am I raising funds for this? You'd be surprised how often people go, well, okay, I've got an idea. I should run a crowdfunding campaign for it. Right, um, right. That may not be the that may not be the, the right step. You need to understand why it is that you want to raise money for it and to deeply connect with your, your purpose as well. Um, it may be that uh, what you're trying to do isn't a great match for a crowdfunding campaign, which is fine, but you shouldn't just rush into it. So understand, you know, is it a tangible ask? Can people make sense out of it? Can you tell a compelling story around it, especially on Start Some Good? So much of it is around the story that you can tell, the narrative to get people excited. And so if you're not able to tell a powerful story, that may be a sign that you're not quite ready to, to crowdfund. Yeah, yeah. What about the perks? Um, any... This would be my final point on crowdfunding, but the perks that are offered for backers, um, sometimes those can make or break a deal. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, So a lot of thought should go into them. Um, While you can just check off the boxes and you can go, hey, here's a t-shirt, here's a postcard. Um, That's probably not going to be too inspiring. And so every part of your campaign, you should think of it very strategically and think about what's the action that this can drive. What we often saw in Start Some Good is that People wanted to support, perhaps irrespective of the, the reward, so they believed in the idea, but the rewards were often what would help people be slightly more generous. So someone comes in right. and they go, okay, you know, I'm thinking about giving 50 bucks, but then, oh, this thing I can get at 100, that's really worth it to me. And so that's where there's a huge value add. It shouldn't feel like a huge burden to you, and you should find ways that the rewards tie into the work that your organization does. Yeah. We also think that the more you can provide things that are essentially priceless, the better. So what are things that someone can otherwise go out and buy? Maybe that's access to your team. Maybe it's a special event that you'll throw, um, some kind of other special version of a product that's only available to crowdfunding campaign supporters. The type of thing that get people really excited and that, again, isn't something they could just uh, buy off a shelf for less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, this okay. is all real good, helpful information. So things for people to consider when they're doing crowdfunding. Um, and I, you know, I've thought about crowdfunding campaigns for Change Creator as well back in 2015. And I set it up. I never executed it though. I always was hesitant to pull the trigger. I'm like, no, we're just not ready. No, we're just not ready. <laughs> and the perks I found, I was like, you know, we got to do something more interesting. You know, like, and I, I find sometimes you can get stuck on those things. Um, but I think it's. One, you don't want to wait forever, but you do want to make sure you're putting, you're being very thoughtful about what you're doing. And if you were that person buying something, or, or I should say, investing in it, you know, like, what is it going to be exciting for you? You know, so it's it's all interesting thoughts and good good tips. Um, yeah, I should say to that point, that's that's why we built the model we did with Start Some Good, which is that we have incredibly high touch support. So we really want to be the platform that helps change makers make their dreams a reality. So each person that comes to the site, they get a dedicated support member who will help them with all those questions, with giving them feedback on their rewards and helping them yeah. polish the narrative to make sure that they're they're really ready to to succeed. Ultimately the responsibility lies on the person creating the campaign, but it starts some good. We've seen a lot of what works, a lot of what doesn't work, and we feel an opportunity and truly an obligation to help share that with, with fellow change makers. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and you guys have been doing good. Has it been consistently growing its um, audience base on there? Yeah, I mean, the, the most uh, rewarding part is just seeing the diversity of change makers that are using yeah. the platform. So whether that's by country or by sector, uh, by size, by stage, uh, you know, everywhere from a 15-year-old in Oakland, California, to an Ashoka Fellow in Tanzania. Yeah, uh, it's so exciting to see the way that it resonates with all types of different people. Yeah, it's exciting for sure. I mean, so I, I've cruised around a lot of different crowdfunding campaigns, and sometimes you you see some where you're like, "Oh man, what did you do?" <laughs> and then uh, you see other ones, you're just like, "Wow, this is really good." You know, it's it's incredible. Some people. Um, they rush into it. Um, they're not ready, and uh, you could tell, you know. But uh, great, uh, this is all really good stuff. I think it'll help a lot of people. Um, it kind of is a segue too. I'll just tap into this now. You've given a lot of uh, talks and things like that. And do you talk about? Is like, are you familiar with other areas that social enterprise? Um, commonly gets funding like government or maybe school, like university venture funds and things like that. Are those big opportunities? Um, any? Do you have any thoughts on those types of things? I think the bottom line is that the best social entrepreneurs are those that are the most resourceful and are willing to pursue all, all areas. So yeah, we see that there's all kinds of opportunities, whether that's private sector, public sector, uh, partnerships, collaborations, grants. Um, there's all types of opportunities out there. Yeah. I think important for the social entrepreneur to think about, again, going back to storytelling, what are the stories that will especially resonate with those groups and what's the value that I can can provide to them. So um, not every funding resource will be good for every yeah. uh, entrepreneur, uh, but it is good to see that there is growing interest in supporting social entrepreneurs. And there's, I think, increasingly that there's still much more room to go in terms of diversifying the types of capital out yep. there. Agreed. Yeah, I can see a lot more uh, interest in this area. And I guess I always get curious. Like, I know I've spoken to some people through our magazine, um, you know, audience members and stuff, and they are looking to figure out funding. And one piece of advice I, I don't have too much experience with is actually getting funding. I've always self-funded um, and, you know, then made uh, income from the business. But um, luckily, because I, I always bootstrapped and had a, a side job. Um, but for uh, the question I do get, and maybe you have an answer, is 
what investors are looking for. So I guess to your point, it depends on who you're talking to. But if you go to university or getting a government fund or whatever it might be, um, should that social enterprise be prepared to show a growth record, a track record of, of growth for their business uh, to prove and validate it in order to even get the attention of uh, getting someone to give them funds. You know what I mean? Like, Or can they be fairly new and conceptual even in the proof of concept phase and make an argument to certain groups that will still be okay at that kind of like a seed funding uh, phase? Yeah, you know, the, the question is, it depends. Um, one of the, the best books in the book that I recommend that every social entrepreneur reads is the book called To Sell as Human. And I think that social entrepreneurs uh, could do much better overall in being salespeople. And I think that going into these types of uh, conversations, mm. the key is to really align with what it is that the person you're pitching wants. Exactly. And the truth is, it could be any or all of those things. There's sometimes where the narrative you want to tell is solely around impact. Just talk about the impact you're having. And they're sold. In other cases, it may be that um, they actually really want a return. They want to see the financial returns that you can deliver. If you can do impact on top of it, great. And maybe they expect some impact, but it's actually the the bottom line, the the profit loss that really matters to them. Yeah, yeah. And I don't prescribe value either way because any of them are reasonable. But I think the key is for a social entrepreneur to really do their homework. So to not just see dollar signs or euro signs out there, but rather to think, okay. How would this funding be strategic to me? Could I deliver on what it is that they actually want? And then how might I tailor my pitch to understand their needs? Right, right. So you might at least have some type of model forecasted and numbers that prove out the market and things like that if you don't have a growth record um, just yet. So there could be just the ability to, um, I guess, validate the idea. that, and, and if they like the cause you could probably score. So I think it's a good answer, meaning it's different different needs for different people. You just need to know who you're talking to, just like anything, know your audience, right? Exactly. Um, so, you know, speaking of audiences, I would love to, you know, you've helped build businesses. Um, you know, this is something that you talk about on your website and things like that. And obviously to build a business, one of the hardest things people go through um, is getting traction, the initial awareness and traction game. Um, you know, how do you get the first thousand customers to buy into what you're doing? And obviously there's many, many variables that come into play, whether it's simple copy on your website, the story that you're telling, all those types of things. But let's, let's think digital marketing and, um, you know, different types of growth hacking concepts. Um, based on your experience, um, wh what are some things we could talk about, I guess, when it comes to developing that initial core audience um, and how we might think about approaching that type of thing? Well, I'm far from a, a growth hacker, but I can tell the story about as we were launching Start Some Good and how we were thinking about that. So we were looking <clears throat> at um, the scenario where it was February 2011. We had this platform that was 99% built. We started to get excited and then realized, well, okay, it does no good to have a crowdfunding platform unless you have amazing social ventures that are raising funds on it. It's a pretty lame experience to just go to this beautifully designed site uh, with no content. Right. So, but then we were faced with the challenge of, okay, so we're these two no-name guys. Why should anyone trust us with this no-name platform to come in and essentially trust their brand, trust their organization, trust their finances to us? And so what we realized there was that we really needed to take a partnership model. And so we reached out and started developing partnerships with some of the leading social enterprise organizations, so from Ashoka U to Teach for America, School for Social Entrepreneurs. 
Um, and that was really a valuable test for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it gave us some deal flow as they talked about uh, us to some of their social ventures. But also more importantly, it gave us some social proof. Um, it gave us a bit more of a backing saying, hey, we can vouch for these guys. They, they know what they're doing. They're, they're good social entrepreneurs. Uh, and so they'll be, be behind this. Uh, and so I think that was a lesson that we learned very quickly and really informed the way that we went about things. And so as a result, I think that informed a lot of the way that we communicated. Um, I think we think of ourselves very much in a, a servant leadership model that, look, we, look, we exist to help support you and support your dreams and making them a, a reality. And I think that's a, an approach that resonated with a lot of people. So rather than a lot of noise going, oh, come to us, we're the best, we're the best, you got to crowdfund with us. Instead, we're saying like, look, we're here to support you. We are deeply part of this community. We understand the challenges, the struggles of being a social entrepreneur, being a change maker. And we're in this fight with you. We're in the trenches. Uh, and I think that's an approach that a lot of people aligned with. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so let me ask you, I guess, as you're talking about social entrepreneurs and you're here for them, um, what is your opinion on the difference between the approach of a social entrepreneur pursuing this enterprise versus a commercial or economic entrepreneur and the things they go through. So if you think of them as two different tracks, there's obviously a lot of commonality between them besides decision-making and maybe how you approach something uh, based on your, your intent and thought process. Um, what are your, I'd, I'd like to hear your perspective on what are the differences? If, if you were going to talk about an article or whatever it is, the differences between that commercial entrepreneur and the social entrepreneur and how they're going about building their businesses. Um, do you have any distinct um, you know, ideas or thoughts around that? Well, as you suggest, the lines are blurring, which I think is generally a good thing. Right. Uh, and we're seeing more and more purpose go into more traditional uh, you know, for-profit, profit-maximizing companies. Um, but I think as I, I look at the great social entrepreneurs, all of them are so driven by a deeper purpose, and that purpose is just simply beyond profit. And there's something just so powerful about when it is that you're dedicated to that, and I think that changes the way you think about some decisions. The decisions, though, are often harder in many ways because a social entrepreneur, if you think about it in the common nomenclature of the double bottom line or triple bottom line, um, the more things you have to contend with and you make a decision, the more complex that decision becomes. So what are the trade-offs that come in when you decide that uh, you, know, you want to pursue impact at least equal or if not more than, than profit? And um, I think the upside is that social entrepreneurs care so deep about the issue that they're willing to just go through walls. That purpose drives them perhaps more than someone that just cares about profit. Uh, but the challenges certainly exist when it comes down to, you know, someone that's a profit maximizer. They don't have to worry about bringing on someone that might be, you know, a director of impact measurement as one of their first dozen, 20 employees, something like that. Um, they don't have to think about stakeholder reports in the same way that a social entrepreneur might um, and so you, I think you bring on added complexity. Overall, to me, I think the benefit is worth it because both the fulfillment you get, but also the drive as a leader. Uh, but I think you're choosing a, a tougher path, a more meaningful and a more important path in many ways, but I think a, a more difficult one. Yeah, no, I think your answer is spot on. It's interesting. I was reading the article written by Sally Osberg and one of her colleagues, which was in 2006 on um, 
Stanford Social Innovation Review, where they, they create an argument to define uh, social entrepreneurship and, and what it actually means to them, right? And they say it's, you know, someone that's creating a chain, using entrepreneurial skills to address social or environmental problems, but they're actually shifting the equilibrium of a system. They kind of threw that in there as a key element. And somebody made the argument in the comments about um, how an economic entrepreneur will make certain decisions based on task efficiency, where the social entrepreneur is focused on, you know, social efficiency, meaning, you know, they might take a hit financially if it's going to benefit the community and people uh, more, right? Whereas the, the economic entrepreneur is going to be focused on the efficiency of a task and that bottom line, like you mentioned. It's just an interesting way to think about it, too. That's right. And thinking about the more systems change approach, which I think is something that absolutely uh, separates the best social entrepreneurs. There's also this mindset that truly great social entrepreneurs want to put themselves out of business. They want to figure out a way to solve whatever challenge this is to tip the equilibrium towards justice or towards whatever better equilibrium there is, that their work may no longer be needed. Uh, that's a hard thing to imagine for the average profit maximizer to hope that they'll one day be out of business. Yeah, there's a good uh, article title, Success by Putting Yourself Out of Business. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> I think that'll catch some attention. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on a second now, I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting. So yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting debate, and I always look at it too, I'm just like, listen, if you are approaching business with good intentions and solving a problem that helps people, planet, animals, whatever it may be, um, you know, we need more of you, whether you're, you're shifting that major system, whether it's, you know, a community system or a national government system. Um, I think that's great, but I, I never was sold in on the, the very specific definition that included that. I think it's a great thing, but, um, I would consider anybody that's doing that mindful entrepreneurship, a social entrepreneur. Yeah. I like thinking, a bit broader and think about people as change makers. And I think change makers can come in many different forms. Right. And I think we often tend to idolize the individual social entrepreneur as the person that drives change. But actually, change comes in many different forms. And I think where we'll truly create change is when we realize that anyone is capable of being a change maker and that people can lead change from wherever it is that they are. So even if you're working for a very traditional profit maximizing company with, let's say, very little uh, social consciousness, if you can take that and start moving it a bit more towards justice, a bit more towards equality, mm -hmm. uh, that can actually have even more impact, perhaps, than launching your own social venture. Yeah. So I think yeah. powerful that each of us recognize where we are and what the tools are at our disposal to create positive change. Yeah, so conscious intrapreneurship. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, not everybody has to start their own business, you know, right? So, like, we just added a job board to the magazine just to test the waters a little bit and start offering people impact career opportunities that you might be able to work remote or whatever um, because there might be someone already blazing a trail on a, a, a space that you are passionate about, which means, you know, you can join that team versus, um, you know, starting your own thing. And I, I do love the idea, too, of the entrepreneur who is – shifting, you know, the business values and culture from the inside and kind of pivoting their direction. I think that's, if you can pull that off, you're, I, I give you a real big high five. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, I'll make it a 10. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite authors and somebody I also interviewed was Carol Sanford. And I think you'd be really, really interested in her book, The Responsible Entrepreneur. And then okay. she also wrote the book, The Responsible Business. Um, I read both of them and wow, man, I just kept 
every time I'm just reading this book on it's just eating it up because she was so in line and she's brilliant. She's gone into like Procter and Gamble and she would change them from the inside out. Um, and they wanted to, they wanted to make sure their detergents and whatever were not harming the environment as they were right with the chemicals and stuff. But the way she approaches it is really brilliant. She's a very smart woman. I would definitely check out those books and anybody listening, they are very inspiring. And I never would have known companies like P&G were doing such amazing stuff. So it's, it's eye-opening. That's great. And thanks to change makers like her. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, the one, one last thing here as we reach our time, um, I just is curious, you said you did a, ch- a talk at the White House. How did that come about? Uh, I mean, very fortuitously, but uh, the Obama administration was really thinking about um, how they can support uh, more millennial and, and young entrepreneurs and so I had a chance to come in and give a bit of the social entrepreneurship uh, angle as well, which I think is something that really resonates very deeply with, with a lot of millennials, certainly not owned by millennials by by any extent. We see great change makers and social entrepreneurs all throughout the age spectrum. But I think it was a, uh, an especially ripe time to be talking about some of, some of those things. But how did they know to reach out to you? Uh, I don't know, but I'm very grateful. <laughs> and uh, for a moment, I tried to, to sneak away from um, the room in which we were meeting and just went to go see, could I get anywhere close uh, to the, the West Wing? And so I have a picture of me <laughs> with about seven security guards, then Secret Service, then a black uh, SUV, and then like way in the distance, you can see the, the Oval Office. But at least I have a picture that says I was on the grounds. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um... Well, listen, Alex, I think we're coming to the end of our time, so I want to be respectful, um, and I know you have a hard stop. Um, so if there's anything, you know, uh, I don't know if you're doing any kind of mentorship coaching for people, anything you want to give a shout out to your website, um, how they can connect with you, ask you questions, um, now is the time to do that. Uh, that's great. I'm always happy to connect with, with fellow changemakers. I'm pretty easy to find. My website is alexbudak.com, and on just about any social network you could find, at alexbudak. And guys, you spell Budak, B-U-D-A-K, okay? Um, Great, Alex. Thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Um, Anytime you need anything, you know where to reach me. Likewise, Adam. Thanks for all the great questions, the great conversation, and and keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the Change Creator Revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play. Or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. 